Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Welcome back to a new episode. We had some encores last week that we threw in. But this was a different kind of week. It was a hugely important one, is what I would say, in the overreaction uh, to COVID, if you're scoring it at home. The country sort of hit a tipping point, is how I felt. You could really feel it. You could really feel it. We finally, collectively, had had enough of being told that we needed to be safe, to wear masks 24-7 wherever we are. We were told that we needed to battle the virus some more. We needed to lock down to flatten the curve. You could feel the country as a whole pretty much just saying, you know what? We're tired of being told what to do. We're tired of not having freedom. We're tired of living in America and not being able to do what we came here for, which is to live our lives, to do our thing. Especially, this probably happened because since, I guess, early January or so, the Omicron variant is quickly vanishing. In New York alone, cases are down like 95% over just the past month. Nearly every state in the country, like 48 or so, the cases are down hugely over the last month. Nationally, on January 10th, we had about 1.4 million new cases of COVID in America. On February 10th, a month later, 173,000. That's a national decrease of an average of 88% in one month. And these are uh, numbers. I didn't get these figures out of the air. I got them from the New York Times. Now, naturally, Joe Biden and New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, lied and claimed that it was America's hard work that got it done. That's what made all these cases go away. The hard work that was done by you Americans, the sacrifices that we made. Hochul said that all the mask wearing is what did it. Biden actually went so far, he and his minions, to say that he basically eliminated COVID for all of us. So I I, I guess the question is, is, well, when the cases went through the roof late last year into January, does that mean that Americans just sucked? That they didn't wear the masks? That they weren't socially distancing? That they weren't washing their hands and sacrificing? Come on, they refused to get vaccinated last month, but now they're getting vaccinated. And then all of a sudden, they just reversed their bad behavior and the COVID cases just completely disappeared. It's just a lie. We understand that the drop in the COVID cases had absolutely nothing to do with masking, had absolutely nothing to do with the increase, the incremental increase in vaccination over the month had nothing to do with any of the vaccine mandates or any of the social distancing. Because as I said, all those things were in place at the time that the COVID cases were high last month. What's astounding to me is how could people just lie so easily to us, people that are in power? I mean, aren't you pissed already? Two years of your lives being taken from you. I mean, we're not on earth forever. That was an important two years. Your businesses were destroyed. Your kids were masked in school and still are being masked in uh, large parts of America. And you know that they lied to you and they're still lying to you, to your faces. But last week, we seemed to collectively had enough. And and what did it finally? Well, I'm going to tell you because there was a tipping point. There really was. It was when pictures came out with that Stacey Abrams in Atlanta reading to little kids in class. She's one of the, the, the foremost leftist leaders, Big Mama, Stacey Abrams, 
she's in class. She's reading to kids. They're all masked, little tiny kids. They're all masked around her sitting there. She's sitting there on the ground with her legs crossed. It's a miracle that she'd even cross those giant legs. You can't see the kids' faces. They look like they're uh, hostages in an ISIS video. But you can see her giant round face, her moon face, and she doesn't have a mask on. She's not wearing a mask, and all these little kids are wearing it. And when she was called out on it, she claimed that she had taken the mask off for just one second, just for that one photo. But then more photos appeared. Everyone's wearing a mask but her. She's speaking to the kids, no mask. They're all forced to wear them. And these are little kids. Abram weighs, I don't know. I, I'm not good with weight. I'm not, I'm not one of those people that you go to the carnival and you guess the weight and you're within five pounds. I don't know. She could weigh 300. She could weigh 600. I, she weighs a lot. Now, she's in very deep shit if she gets COVID, according to what we've been told, no? We've been told that if you're obscenely obese like her, you can actually die from COVID. That's what we were, were told, right? I mean, we were told that over and over for God knows how long by the, the powers that be. Now, why isn't she concerned with not wearing a mask if she knows that if she gets COVID, she could die? And why did she lie to America about her refusal to wear the mask? And the little kids around her, they're all forced to wear it. They're miserable. They've spent two years of their young lives forced to wear the masks all day in school. While Stacey Abrams comes to the school and doesn't wear a mask. None of the kids raise their hands and say, I don't understand. I've got this fucking mask on my face. And that uh, Stacey Abrams over there, is she some kind of special? Is she special that she doesn't have to wear the mask? The kids didn't say it because they're brainwashed now. They're beaten down. They're beaten into submission. Those little kids, they have a, a better chance of getting hit by lightning than dying of COVID. Getting hit by lightning twice in the same spot on the same day. All right. Similarly, the, uh, the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul in New York, and Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, they're always photographed around masked little kids at school never wearing their masks. I guess, is it a better photo is, is when you're not wearing a mask? I mean, is the better photo, the op, the photo op, is that more important than saving your life? Because that's what we were told, that we could die without the mask or we could cause the death of others. We'd spread death. If we didn't wear that mask. So why don't these liberal politicians wear them, even as they make the rest of us wear them? Even as the cases drop 88% nationally in one month. Is there something we don't know about COVID? But last week, you could feel the anger rising here. You could feel the frustration. It's amazing. It took two years. We watched as the truckers in Canada had a wildly effective protest. They blocked the bridge into America, clogging traffic. They didn't burn any cities down. They simply blocked the traffic. And Americans looked north and agreed, a lot of them, with the truckers. So suddenly, out of nowhere, the mask mandates across America seemed to fall away in many states. The science apparently changed. Again, we were told changed again. The science keeps changing. It's just utter bullshit. The science changed when Biden's disapproval rating hit 58%. And that's like an all-time low after one year in office. He's just been in office in for one year. And this is after he just got the most votes, allegedly, 
in history for any race in America, like 81 million. Somehow he managed to have the quickest fall in popularity of any American president ever for a variety of reasons, including runaway inflation. He told us over the summer when it was only at 5% that it was just a temporary thing. Well, now it's at 7%. And he just told a reporter that he wasn't wrong this summer when he said it was temporary. I guess when you're 200 and fucking 12 years old, everything's temporary. I don't know. By the way, when uh, uh, inflation was, when uh, Biden came into office, inflation was at 1.4%. Now it's at 7 Over the past year, a gallon of gas has gone up 40%. Rental cars up 29%. Bacon up 18%. Hotels 21%. Peanut butter, 15.5%. You can't find a new car. Very difficult. Used cars are up 40% because of that. And Joe Biden just tried to spend $30 million of our tax money on crack pipes for addicts to get them off intravenous drugs. Now, look, I'm not saying that it's not a, a bad idea. Of course, as soon as he got caught, he claimed it was a lie, that that wasn't what they were doing. But, of course, that's what they were doing. Just read the articles. You can see nobody denied it except for Biden and that psychotic ginger freak, Jen Psaki. He, what he wants is, he says, well, you know, intravenous drug use is bad, so we'll just wean you onto drugs that you smoke, like crack. It makes sense if you're a leftist imbecile, I suppose. He wants our nation's drug addicts to be like his son Hunter, the smartest person he knows, that's what he said. Hunter Biden is the smartest person that Joe Biden knows. This is a guy, Hunter Biden, who was at Larry Flint's Hustler Strip Club in Manhattan, and he paid a dancer to get a dildo to use on him. And by use on him, use in him. If you don't believe me, Google it. I'm not making this up. That's the smartest guy that our president knows. A guy who has a stripper stick a dildo. You can figure out the rest. And the sea change you felt in America just happened to occur just months before this hugely important midterm elections, which are coming up, and it'll determine the ability of Biden to get anything done for the rest of his term. Not that he's done anything now, but screw everything up. Every last thing he screwed up, every foreign policy decision has been a disaster. Tell me one that hasn't been. He betrayed all of our allies. I mean, I could go into it. The Army came out recently with a report which revealed that Biden's Afghanistan pullout team was in total disarray this summer. Total indecisiveness cost us 13 American servicemen, and we were humiliated glo globally and let our uh, allies down. Biden said that he rejects the report. Like he even read it? The report revealed the frustrations at the Pentagon because of the White House. They didn't prepare the embassy for evacuation in the weeks preceding Kabul's fall. And after the action reports, uh, there were action reports that were made after the pullout in August. And it confirms this total disarray due to Biden and his indecisiveness. These aren't partisan reports made up by Republicans. These are objective facts on the ground reports. Our allies wish they had Trump back. That's how bad this, this, this poor brain giant cap teeth shit his pants moron has been he's betrayed every one of our allies and somehow he's managed to delight iran and russia and china the democrats they know of the anger which is why all the mandates started getting rolled back this week they know about the rage that we all feel and we finally figured out that we've been gaslighted we've been lied to and they know the democrats know they're going to pay at the ballot box and it's going to be just in a few months at the midterms 
Suddenly, America has had enough of the hypocrisy, years of being locked down, our kids forced to wear masks in schools, kids' parties canceled, proms, social events canceled. Our kids were robbed of their childhoods, forced to stay indoors, have no physical contact with friends. We couldn't go to see our loved ones in hospitals as they died alone. We couldn't have funerals for them. Now, I know there's a back and forth as to whether masking works, works the mandates work. Some people say Florida with no mandates have no difference uh, in terms of results in New York with all the insane mandates. Countries with no mandates ended up no worse than America, which went crazy with all the lockdowns and the forced masking. Here's the question that I'm going to ask you. If these masks really worked, would the biggest leftists in the country, the ones pushing the mandates the hardest, the masks the hardest, would they ever be seen without masks if they really believe that the masks were needed to save their lives? and the lives of people around them. That's what they've been telling us. That's what they forced on us. Why is uh, AOC, that Alexandra Cortez uh, Jimenez, why is she going to gay bars without a mask on? Because she knows it's bullshit, like they all do. Israel is on to booster number two. They're ahead of America. That's COVID vaccine shot four, if you're counting. Masks all over the place in Israel. Guess what? Their COVID numbers are off the charts. The masks and vaccines don't stop the spread of COVID. I'm not saying there's no uh, help in getting the vaccine. Maybe it keeps you from dying, but that's not just what we were told they lied to us. Stacey Abrams sitting amongst all those kids. They all got their masks on. She doesn't. She's morbidly obese. She is the one who's at danger from COVID, not some 40-pound five-year-old. But no mask on her. Maybe a feed bag, but not a mask. Gavin Newsom is in a luxury box with Magic Johnson during the NFC Championship game. No mask for him. And he's the governor of California. He's, a, he's with a guy who's uh, immunocompromised with HIV, Magic Johnson. No masks for any of them. Yet the kids he orders to go to school with masks, that's okay. Wear your mask. L.A.'s leftist mayor, that uh, Eric Garcetti, the only reason he, he got his job is because of his dad. Another nepotism situation. He's got an IQ of maybe 95 on a good fucking day. He comes up with the best lie ever when caught with, without a mask, with his picture with Magic Johnson. And he always looks like he's going to cry. Google uh, Eric Garcia. He's going to look like he's going to cry. He can't take it anymore. I was holding my breath when the pictures were taken without my mask. These liberals, they can't stop lying. Garcetti wants to hold his breath while he's taking a picture. How about we put a plastic bag over his head? Hold your breath then. New York's governor, that mental patient at Kathy Hochul, while reinforcing the school mask mandate this week, she made her announcement while she was unmasked because she needs to be heard and understood. Apparently, kids don't need to be heard and understood. Just her, who got the job on accident because her, her boss was a, a, a freak. He's a freak, Andrew Cuomo, with his nipple rings. Does COVID not affect her when she's giving an important speech? I have to be masked in court when I'm speaking. Why the fuck doesn't Kathy Hochul uh, have to wear a mask? Why does she get a mask? She takes pictures with school kids without wearing a mask while all the kids do. Why does COVID not affect her? Is she a god or something? Or is she some yenta on antidepressants? They can't admit they lied to us. They can't admit they robbed us of two years of our lives, of our livelihoods. So they have to continue to lie to us. That's Sonny Hostin. She's one of the cows from The View. I don't know if you watch that show. 
She didn't want her children to be part of the 1%, she said, of those who get intubated and die from COVID. But guess what? Federal health data shows the risk of dying for kids under 17 is a hell of a lot less than 1%. This is what she said. You see, I don't want to take the chance with my kid. I don't want my kid to be part of the 1% that is intubated and dies because I don't give her a vaccine. She said that she got her 15-year-old vaccinated as soon as it became available. So apparently 1% get intubated and die from COVID. I don't think Sonny Hostin really did any kind of reading. She just lied. COVID is down like 95% in New York, as I said. You ever see that video in, from Vegas where the little kids are told they don't need to wear their masks in school anymore? They're freaking out. They're delirious with happiness. Kathy Hochul and Jen Psaki claim that the kids love the masks. I mean, who wouldn't love to have a hand over your face for six, seven hours a day? Just another lie. We've kept them masked for two years, and they're the ones that are the most affected mentally and developmentally by these restrictions. And Sonny Hostin, one out of 100 who get COVID kids, get intubated and die. How about the fact that COVID kills one in 13,000 of kids who get it? And do you think that maybe some of those kids that died had maybe something else they were sick with? According to the CDC, there have been 770 deaths from the virus in children between the ages of 0 to 17 years through the end of January. There have been nearly 10 million known cases of the virus in that age group. God knows how many more were never reported. That makes the death rate approximately 0.008%. Okay? Those COVID deaths make up less than 0.09% of the total deaths from COVID in the United States, which is around 900,000 or so. That's one in 13,000, not one in 100 that that cow, Sonny Hostin, said. She's lying on TV. She's lying to tens of millions of people. Why do they have to lie? Tell me. Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor made a significant lie during an oral argument about COVID-19's impact on children. She made the claim during a hearing on the legality of Biden's uh, his administration's attempt to require large employers to force their workers to be vaccinated for the virus or undergo weekly testing. Sotomayor, of course, is a liberal. She emphasized the dangers posed by Omicron. And she said, we have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in serious condition and many on ventilators. Facts, lady. Her claim about children wasn't even close to being accurate. According to the federal data that was available at the time she spoke, fewer than 5,000 people under the age of 18 were hospitalized in the U.S. with confirmed or suspected cases of COVID. The number of child hospitalizations was 4,400 a few days ago before the hearing and is still under 5,000. That's not 100,000 kids. And many of the kids that are, that are hospitalized are not in serious condition. Like she said, very few were on ventilators. She lied. But why did she lie? This information is so easily had. Why do they keep lying to us? And why do they think we're so stupid? They can't admit that they're wrong. So they keep up the charade that the masks are necessary for children, for adults, even though you've been vaccinated, they want control. They want us to submit. And we did. And we've lost so much by the masking. Our kids have lost so much of their childhood for no reason at all. 
emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts among adolescents increased 31% in 2020 from the year before. In February and March of 2021, visits uh, for suspected suicide attempts for girls ages 12 to 17 rose 51% visits to the hospital. That's during the same period compared pre-pandemic. Our society has lost so much. So many people lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their businesses. But there were so many inconsistencies, so many lies jammed down our throats. So many small businesses ended, but the big box stores, they stayed open. Small food stores had to close while Target was allowed to sell food instead. Food at Target? You have to wear your masks on planes, but they'll cram you together and let you eat inches apart without the masks on. You had to wear the masks walking into a restaurant, but as soon as you hit your table, apparently you can take the masks off because you're safe from COVID. You had to wear your masks inside of sporting events, but the players who are sending all sorts of particles into the air for the entire two to three hour game, they're not wearing masks. And now the masks aren't required indoors at these games, but we need to still wear them on trains. Isn't that indoors? Kyrie Irving can't play a, a basketball game in New York or New Jersey, but all the fans watching the games don't have to wear masks anymore doesn't make any sense. They're just picking and choosing rules and they're changing them every day. The anger in this country about the hypocrisy is palpable. We've had enough, which is why the truck drivers in Canada had enough. They're, they were peacefully protesting. They blocked traffic. Naturally, the left called them terrorists. When BLM and Antifa were burning down city after city in America, looting stores, the left said they were mostly peaceful protesters. Liberals in America demanded that our military reopen the bridge from Canada to America. That was blocked by the truckers because it disrupted our auto industry. When BLM and Antifa were burning down city after city in America and the liberals screamed that Trump was a Nazi, if he dared send in the National Guard to crush their skulls. These were criminals that burned down businesses. They stopped traffic too. The liberals didn't say a damn word about it. Liberals don't want the military dispatch to the southern border, though, where there's 2 million illegals are coming in, streaming through, they're carrying the virus and whatever else they got. They aren't tested. They aren't given the vaccine. But a five-year-old needs to wear a mask all day, every day at school? I mean, Suddenly, the liberals are mad that the supply chain is being slowed down due to protests in Canada. What about two years of an economic crisis in America, in Europe, caused by shutting down country after country? What about Biden's spending, which caused runaway inflation? Never complained about any of that. When BLM was blocking traffic, no problem with that. When vaccine mandates caused supply chain issues, no problem with that. They claim that the truckers in Canada are terrorists, but the BLM psychos and the, the Antifa garbage people that burned down America, they weren't. Mostly peaceful protesters, CNN said. Biden hilariously, hilariously still says getting rid of masks in school is premature. He wants more kids vaccinated. Guess what? Guess what? Even liberal parents don't want to vaccinate their children. Only 18.8% of kids ages 5 to 11 have been fully vaccinated. That's less than one in five. 28% have received one dose. That's it. Liberals, why aren't you vaccinating your children? Even they figured it out. 
because the CDC and Pfizer and Moderna lied about the vaccine's effectiveness. They lied to us or they were incompetent and had no clue what they were injecting into people's arms. Why is it fake news when Joe Rogan challenges the vaccine, but not fake news when the CDC tells us that the vaccine is 95% sure to stop the spread of COVID? Or when Sonny Sonny Hostin and, and Justice Sotomayor, when they lie about how many kids got sick from COVID, why aren't we canceling them? Oh, and then we just learned this week that the booster that Fauci and Biden are insisting that we all get, it works for four months. So we'll just keep getting, what, three boosters a year for the rest of our lives for something that's not going to kill us like the flu? Now, I understand it's more serious than the flu, but we're going to take, what, three boosters a year? Come on. I'm not getting another booster. I've got the booster. I got two vaccines and the booster. I'm not taking another booster for at least a year. No way. They don't even know what it's going to cause. They just keep changing. The science keeps changing. Every time they tell us to get a vaccine shot, they keep changing that damn science when they're proven wrong. And I don't want to be a guinea pig for them anymore. Like, I'm going to blindly trust this government who tells me that I can trust this vaccine. I'm going to blindly trust Joe Biden. I wouldn't buy a damn used car from Joe Biden. I'm going to trust Don Lemon from CNN. At some point, when all of this is over, when we take into account all the lies, all the control they exerted on us for no reason, when we were called terrorists as we caused no violence, as their terrorists burned cities down, at some point we need to get mad, not forgive, separate from them, stay away from them. They ruined high school for so many kids, college, grammar school, the development of children, social development, speech, little kids in school, they're they're wearing those masks for two years. They all sound like Mushmouth from Fat Albert. Hey, Baduba. OBKB, Fat Albert. Kids are losing things that they will never get back. Things that we'll never get back. It's not enough to hold them responsible for what they did to us with their hypocrisy. We need to separate from them, get away from them, get them out of our lives because they're poison. And by the way, Trump isn't blameless. Let's not pretend that he's any better. Because guess what? He's the one that started putting the masks on the kids. He's the one. Started with him. And there's more insane hypocrisy. I'm pissed about this issue, but there's more insane hypocrisy going on. Uh, New York's mayor, Eric Adams, is upset that uh, some rappers were shot in New York City recently. So naturally, because he's a fascist, he's a liberal, he said he wants to basically outlaw a type of rap music where they glorify violence and call for revenge by, you know, name of people. It's called uh, drill music. Now, I have a question. Is is Eric Adams black? Is he from planet Earth? It's 2022. He doesn't know what, what rap music is all of a sudden? And he's blaming the music for the violence? I guess this is better than having to uh, blame the gun for the violence, which is what we're used to from them. How about blaming the parents? Or the problems in black communities like single parents, mass incarceration, hopelessness, Lack of education, other issues? That's the problem. Not the music. Fuck you, Eric. Crossing guard? He's a former crossing guard? This guy's telling us that it's the music's fault? Go a little deeper, Eric. Make a little more of an effort and figure out what's really the problem. And he says in his speech that we pulled Trump off Twitter, yet we're allowing music with display of guns and violence. 
we allow, we allow, he doesn't say we're, he says, we allowing it to stay on sites cause look at the victims. That's what he said. Meaning black victims. Like it's okay. If blacks are harmed, they're the victim because no one cares about blacks. According to him, you know, I get what he's saying, but you know, dude, you're the black mayor of New York city. We had a black president. Somebody cares about blacks. All right. Joe Biden is refusing to look at any other qualified candidates for the opening on the Supreme Court. Just black women. Blacks are getting something, Eric. I know it's hard for you to believe. Understand that affirmative action, it doesn't help anyone but blacks these days. Asians had to sue because they're discriminated against by American universities. Hey, Eric, when I was representing Rashawn Weaver, a 14-year-old kid accused of murder who was raised in the most horrific circumstances by a single mother, you have a big mouth then. Where was your big mouth now? Why didn't you call and offer some help? Why didn't you come out and support Rashawn Weaver? He's a child. Did a single black politician stand up for Rashawn Weaver? Did Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan DA who inherited the case, did he contact me and have a meeting about this and talk about how we can stop this sort of thing in black communities? No, no one did. All that unfairness they complain about in the black communities, that's all for politics. They don't actually give a goddamn about these kids. They care about votes. Eric Adams won't even wear a mask around kids. He's trying to kill them, I guess. And he said, we pulled Trump off Twitter. Who is this we who pulled Trump off Twitter? Who is we? Are liberals the only ones that get to determine what uh, free speech is? What speech is okay? He said it in such a way that he makes clear he doesn't give a damn what half of America thinks. Like it's impossible for anyone to be allowed to support Trump. It's impossible. If you say you support Trump, you need to be shunned. Dude, he was a president. You may not agree with him, but he was an American president. He won the votes to win the presidency. It's impossible, apparently, for Trump to even be allowed to speak on social media, according to the crossing guard. Why? Because he believes Trump lies on social media. What about Sonny Hostin from The View, that cow lying about COVID, or Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor lying about it? Where's Eric Adams? What about the Ayatollah from Iran? He's on Twitter calling for the destruction of Israel, destruction of America. Where's that big mouth Eric Adams then? Where's Eric Adams when Fauci says that the, the vaccine will end COVID last year? Where's Eric Adams when the CDC said that <clears throat> the vaccine would prevent COVID spreading by 95% that the masks and the mandates would actually work and they lied about it. Or when Biden says inflation is temporary over the summer and it's gone up 40% since then. Where's Eric Adams when people in his own party lie and call Israel a Nazi apartheid state? We're allowing it to stay on sites cause look at the victims. That's what he said. Well, Eric Adams, the former crossing guard, the victims here are Jews former crossing guard when they talk about Israel being a Nazi apartheid, apartheid state and lying. All right. The victims of the inflation, those lies, those are Americans, Eric Adams, black and white. The victims of the COVID lies are Americans, Eric Adams, black and white. Everything isn't about race unless you're nothing but a race huckster. And then it's all about race. The left gets to determine what's right and wrong. They're the arbiters of all things moral. P.S. Just uh, one last comment. Um, last week on the podcast, I talked about Coach Brian Flores, who sued the NFL for racism. 
you know, a little update. This was shocking to me. It barely made the news. He was interviewing for the head coaching job at the Houston Texans, and the job ended up going to another black man named Lovey Smith. It just happened a few days ago. What did Brian Flores' lawyers say about it? Quote, Mr. Flores is one of the finalists for the Texans' head coaching job, and after a great interview and mutual interest, it is obvious that the only reason Mr. Flores was not selected was his decision to stand up against racial inequality across the NFL. Are you kidding me? You threw Lovey Smith under the bus? Maybe the reason that Lovey Smith got hired and not you, Brian Flores, is that he once took a team to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as his quarterback. You can't even win half your games, Brian Flores. What a clown you are. What a classless thing to say about a guy who is universally respected, Lovey Smith, in the NFL. And I am done with you, Brian Flores, after that. And his lawyers are morons who clearly don't know football and somehow thought that was a good statement to, the, to release to the world. Give me a break. He clearly knows he's never going to get hired again. He's done with coaching. He doesn't want to coach anymore. He wants to become a cultural icon. That's why he did it. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Back in a second, I've got a couple of quick law stories for you. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. My first visit to an organized crime co-defendant meeting at the MCC. That's the infamous prison, the Metropolitan Correctional Center in lower Manhattan. It's closed now, and that's where Jeff Epstein died. It was early 1993. I had just started working for Jerry Shargell. We represented one of the alleged capos in one of the five mafia families in New York, and I was just starting my third year as a lawyer, and working for Jerry seemed like a really big step up from where I had been before. We, were, we had real cases with real trials, and it was one of the first cases I had worked on, um, a federal prosecution, and this was one where a good part of the administration and leaders of one mafia family were indicted. It was so exciting. And I was somewhat of a prodigy, I would say, back then, or at least I considered myself one. I was only 28, but I was pretty advanced. Every waking second that I had, I had spent on work and I had learned a lot and had good common sense, I thought, for these types of cases, but it mostly was reading and working. I didn't have any free time for myself, which was great. I was thrilled. And the clients liked me because they could tell that I was really into and I wasn't lazy. And I think the wise guys were amused by me as, as I said, I was really enthused and had a lot of knowledge about this stuff for someone so young. I had read every mafia book that existed when I was in college. And it's not like kids today that go into becoming lawyers who really just uh, work to live. I really live to work. That was really the truth. <clears throat> anyway, so I go to the MCC. It was a Saturday morning. And I was just wildly overdressed. First big mistake. I wore a suit for a Saturday meeting. I don't know why I did it, as I'd been to the MCC before when I worked for Michael Kennedy. But meeting the so-called leaders of an organized crime family was just different to me. It was like I was like meeting like hugely important people. And this was the boss, the underboss, the consigliere. I wore a suit. And now, naturally, of course, I was the only one wearing said suit. It was in a big attorney client conference room in the MCC that existed back then. Completely different setup as years went on. There was this huge table with seats for everyone and their lawyers. I was the youngest person there by maybe 20 years. The nicknames of the defendants on this indictment were hilarious. They were legendary. Petey Pizza, 
Joey Bang Bang, Curly. This was the first time since John Gotti Sr.'s appeal in 1991 or so when I had that meeting in Michael Kennedy's office after John Gotti's conviction with all those lawyers that I had seen Bruce Cutler. And I'll get to him in a minute. But Bruce was a hero of mine uh, growing up wanting to be a lawyer. And I didn't know where to sit when we get into this room. And as we're settling into place, me in a suit and tie and all the other inmates are in brown jumpsuits and lawyers are dressed like it was dressed down Friday at the office. They're wearing like khaki pants and shirts with belts. And the co-defendants were also there. They were out on bail, some of them. Some of them were in wearing the jumpsuits, but some of them walked in the front door with us and they looked like us. I mean, dressed the same way. They had to go through the same metal detectors, the same security screening that we did. So as we're getting ready to sit down, the boss of the family, the alleged boss, excuse me, uh, asks me to sit next to him. The boss said, Jeff, you sit next to me in case I have any questions. And I was like, over the moon, I was 28 years old. He's at the very head of the table. There are lawyers and defendants along the sides of the table. He's at the very top. And I'm sitting directly to his left at the very t- t- top of the table next to him. And all of a sudden, <laughs> as we're sitting down, we're having some small talk. One of the co-defendants who's sitting down at the table across from me starts pulling out of the top of his pants the longest sandwich I'd ever seen. It was like one of those Dagwood Bumstead sandwiches, one of those hoagies that you get for the Super Bowl when you have like 30 people over. It's like just <laughs> one of those long, sub sandwich and he keeps pulling it out of the top of his pants it was wrapped just relax it was wrapped in cellophane but he keeps pulling it out and he keeps pulling it out and it keeps going and going it's like when the magician pulls the red scarf out of his hand and he shows the audience that it's empty then he closes his hand into a fist and he starts pulling the red scarf out and it just keeps going and going and going and going finally it ends and the, the boss of the family takes it from him because it was for him And it was like a real Italian hoagie with oil and vinegar and salt and pepper. The whole nine yards was on this sandwich. And the boss starts nibbling on it, but he can't eat it. He can't like put it on the table because it's illegal. You can't sneak contraband into prison. So he has to sort of stoop low uh, below the the tabletop and eat it under the table so no guard will see him. Takes a nibble. Then he comes up, talks a little bit, goes down, takes another nibble. Then he leads the meeting a little bit more. He finished the whole gigantic sandwich. Basically, the meeting ended when the sandwich ended, which was like an hour or so. I remember nothing else about that meeting 29 years later. Not a single thing. Now, when I was went out on my own in uh, January of 1999, I was 33 at the time, and I moved on to a floor with Jimmy LaRosa and a real motley crew of solo practitioners really colorful people for the most part, in the office next door to me, Bruce Cutler. Now, this was a legendary mob lawyer. He was the bald guy, the bull in the china shop style. He was John Gotti's right hand. And I had mainly gotten to know him when Jerry Shargell and I represented John Gotti Jr. I was only on the case for a bit during his early case in 1998, before I took over later in 2003 or so. This was for that scores extortion and racketeering case that he had. And Bruce was really fun during my brief time on that case. Just such an an oddball of a human being. He never seemed to stress out about the work. He loved sports, loved sports trivia. And of course, so do I. So we had a lot in common. Now he's in the office next door to me. 
And this was like really a dream come true for a young lawyer like me, whose first contact with organized crime, you know, when I wanted to be a, perhaps a defense lawyer, was watching Bruce Cutler on TV defending John Gotti in the 80s when I was in college and in law school. There was no internet back then, so you couldn't learn about people unless you saw it on TV or read it in the paper. So incredibly, here I am, I'm a kid in my early 30s, and I'm in an office right next door to Bruce Cutler, my hero. Now, in Bruce's office was the following. A desk, a chair behind it for him, two chairs for guests in front of it. No computer, no books, no paper, no pens. He didn't come into the office very much, and, and when he did, it was always hilarious. First thing we'd do is we would talk about lunch. We'd go for lunch at one of two places. Either Sarge's, a Jewish deli, uh, I think it was on 3rd Avenue and maybe 36, 37th. It was a few blocks from our office. Now, Bruce was treated like a rock star when he walked down the street, whenever he walked into the deli, and he was always so great with me about it. I'll never forget that. And it's the kind of thing that as an older person now, more experience, it's important that you treat people that are beneath you with dignity because they don't forget. He'd introduce me to everyone, made me feel important. He was just Bruce is the best guy. We'd eat, and Bruce would speak in that baritone voice very dramatically, like he's the most bizarre person. The other place that we would eat was a hot dog cart outside of our office on 41st and Madison. For real. We would go to the, the cart, and we'd have two hot dogs each, and just stand there like two crazy people talking to uh, the guy from Bangladesh who was selling us the hot dogs. Of course, Bruce knew his name. But he was very particular about food, Bruce, when it came to food. He had to be very particular, had to be just right, even if it was a hot dog swimming around in that dirty water. When he was in the office, and I have no idea what kind of work he actually did. As I said, there was no computer in there. There was no paper in there. But he mainly was there to play with me. I'd be sitting in my office working my ass off because I had to support myself, and it was just me. And Bruce would call me you know, on the inter-office line. We were literally five feet apart, office to office, but he would call me on the phone. This is what I would hear, and I could hear it, if better, from the booming voice in his office next to me than on the phone that was in my ear. This is what I'd hear. Formal query, name three of the seven blocks of granite of the Fordham football team. Just like that. He would call it a formal query. Now, the, the seven blocks of granite was the offensive line of the great Fordham football teams from like the 30s. This is like, you know, 60, 70 years later. <clears throat> Vince Lombardi, the great Packers coach, was actually one of the seven blocks of granite. So this was the kind of question he'd ask me. Now, this was, it was bizarre. Now, as soon as he asked me the question, I would like immediately go to my computer that was right in front of me. As soon as he asked me the question, the next thing that would come out of his mouth would be, and don't use the television meaning the computer on my desk. He called the computer on my desk a television. Because to Bruce, it had the same significance. It meant nothing to him. Now, once Bruce called me on the phone, he was on trial in Philadelphia at the time, and a client of his had, had called him and said he had just been arrested on federal extortion charges, and Bruce asked me to go down to court, make a bail application, and I'd work on the case with him. And this was big money, he said. Big money, enough for him and me. Now, I was a young lawyer. I'd just come out on my own. And I needed all the work that I could get. And I loved the opportunity to work with Bruce because he was fun and I respected him. 
So I get down to court, I see the guy, and he was a lot younger than I expected for a guy with big money. I talked to him about the charges, got his background. I told him that Bruce sent me, he just listened to all that. I put my notice of appearance in on trust because once you put that notice of appearance in, you're stuck in the case. You can't really get out. But Bruce had sent me, and that was really all the, the, I guess, the bona fides I needed to hear. I argued the bail motion in front of Judge Rena Raggi, a very tough and brilliant judge from Brooklyn Federal Court in the Eastern District. The first thing she said to me is, if you're putting your notice of appearance in, just know that you're in this until the end. And I figure again, Bruce said it's okay, so it's okay with me. I end up winning the bail motion. I go in the back to see the client in the cage behind the courtroom because we needed to post property to get him out now. And he says to me all of a sudden, I don't know why you're here because I don't have any money for you guys. I don't know why Bruce sent you. And I'm like, huh? He's like, I don't have any money. I immediately like run back into the courtroom. Judge Raggi still had not taken her books off and gathered them up to leave. And I go to the clerk and I said, listen, I need another 30 seconds in front of Judge Raggi. We called the prosecutor down. He comes down. The judge is looking at me like I'm insane. And I said, look, I need to withdraw from this case. And this was 10 minutes after I had just put my notice of appearance and then won the bail. So I put my notice of appearance in 10 minutes later, I'm seeking to withdraw. She laughed and, and let me off the case. Now, another quick story, a trip to the MDC, that's the Metro, uh, Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, where they keep federal inmates. And Bruce and I were going down there to see two clients that were co-defendants on a case. Bruce is behind me the whole time. It's like 5 p.m. and the place is a madhouse. There were so many lawyers and relatives of inmates. You had to like work your way to the front where the where they were like taking intake and you had to get a sheet. You showed your license, you'd get a sheet and then you'd fill it out. You'd give it to them. And it was such a hassle. It was like you were trying to get on the uh, helicopters leaving Saigon after it fell in the Vietnam war. And it was just brutal. And I've got Bruce behind me. I'm like, Bruce, I'll take care of you. I know he's older than me and I was younger. I didn't care, but I figured I could handle it better than him. And I'm, I'm basically shepherding him through this. He's behind me the whole time. He's, he's very delicate and and, and I knew he was uncomfortable in the crowd. And anyway, I finally get to the front and I get our paperwork and it was like a frustrating 15 minutes. I turn around to hand him his paperwork so he could fill it out so we could go in to see our clients. There's no Bruce. I scan the crowd thinking that maybe he's lost. No Bruce. He's just gone. He's just vanished. So <laughs> I have to go into the, the prison and I see his client and my client together. They're, we had a co-defendant meeting and his client's like, where's Bruce? I'm like, dude, I don't know where Bruce is. He's gone though, man. I don't know where he is. He was right behind me and he just vanished. I ended up getting out of there like an hour, two hours later. I immediately called Bruce on his, his phone, his cell phone. Now, Bruce had like the first flip phone that existed when cell phones came out like in 1990 something, early 90s, mid 90s. He still had the same phone. He refused. I can guarantee you he does not have a smartphone today. He had one of those flip phones. He would open it up and look at it like he was looking at plutonium in his hand, like it was this foreign object. Every time he opened it up in his giant hands, he'd have this tiny little flip phone. He had no idea how to use it. Anyway, he answers the phone. I said to him, Bruce, what the hell happened to you? You weren't there. Jeffrey, my boy, it was just too crazy in there. I had to leave. That's all he said to me. He says, I had to leave. So that was Bruce Cutler. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. We'll be back here next week, perhaps with some more Bruce Cutler stories. 
If you want to find me, I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you name it. If you have any emails, any questions, go ahead, contact me. I actually answer them. See you next week.